Are you curious about, interested in, or working within the field of anesthesiology and you are a woman, person of color, or otherwise do not fit the stereotypical image of what an anesthesiologist looks like, then this is the podcast for you. We will discuss what life is like on the other side of the blue drape for us. Issues most relevant, such as what is anesthesia really? And we're not talking textbook definition. Tips for applying, success in residency, life as an attending, and beyond. Join us each week as we take a dive into this rich and often misunderstood field. This is your host, Dr. Alicia Peterson, and welcome to Sivo Sisters. Welcome back, y'all, to Sivo Sisters, where we demystify and diversify the field of anesthesiology all within the duration of an anesthesia break. This week, we are having part two of our discussion with Dr. Stephen Bradley. And if you missed last week, go on ahead, go back one episode, listen to part one. You'll gain some value this week. We'll talk about doctoring while Black, how to handle the racism, the critical role of mentorship, and staying vigilant. You'll also see how serendipity shows up again. We're going to open this episode with Dr. Bradley sharing with us why he chose University of Chicago for his anesthesiology residency. Please enjoy. The reason I ended up at the University of Chicago, I met the program director at the ASA conference when I was a third year medical student. I went when I was a fourth year. I drove over, met the program director a second time was able to secure a bunch of interviews. Now that's changed because of the way the interview process is going these days. Super intense now at the ASA and it's, it may not be the best place to network at that residency event, but you know, obviously still go. This is dated advice is what I'm trying to say. And then at the SNMA conference, I attended and met my program director for a third time. He was like, oh yeah, we just, you know, we're sending out the interview invitations like tomorrow. So they, they knew me, they knew who I was, or at least he did in the program. Dr. McDade uh, wasn't attending there and having connected with him on a couple of occasions as well, I think helped in the interview process. Absolutely. As much as we can get FaceTime and and nowadays, as you said, yes, with the ASA was intended to be like networking and not so much a recruitment tool there, mm-hmm. uh, but there are ways electronically to Be top of mind through connecting with social media, through sending emails about updates and expressing your interest and why you're still interested. There are definite ways to to still carry out what you did very successfully, which was to maintain that connection. You matched your number one. And when we look at your residency journey, what challenges really stand out for you there? I had a great time in residency. I had great co-residents. We had a blast. I struggled because I'm a solid B student. I'm not the smartest person you've ever met, but again, I will work my butt off. I think that's ultimately what showed through was that, oh, Bradley, oh, he's going to work and get a job done. And we did rotate through a hospital in Chicago that is much less diverse than the university hospital. There was some some struggles there you know, coming from Howard, being at other state institutions, experiencing being the extreme minority was not common. At University of Chicago, it was a very incredibly diverse place to train with the patients. And this other hospital was tough. Having experiences where it's like, is it because I messed something up or was it because I'm Black? 
experiences as an intern where you made a simple intern mistake and I was punished differently. You know, I had to sit down and chat with the program director, whereas I had co-interns that were like doing prelims to go into Durham. And she was late to sign out four or five times a week, late, like 20, 30 minutes late, but I'm getting pulled to the side. And that's where mentorship, having that network, I had attendings that were looking out for me that I know that they were there doing that in the background. They were providing a layer of protection. And I see what's happening. They're taking notes. They're always watching. They're taking notes on your behavior if you're underrepresented in medicine. Unfortunately, sometimes we struggle. And then it's, is that program going to use those things against you? I saw where it was headed and I just doubled down, put my head down and grinded for the next two or three months that I was at this facility and I got out of that situation. I'm so glad you highlighted that. You see black and brown residents accepted into programs and then you don't see them finishing. Mm -hmm. What you mentioned about taking these notes and using it punitively and, and not using it to help grow and nurture the trainee. You mentioned you had attendings were really looking out for you. So just as you had those that were trying to take notes and, and bring you down, you had those there looking out for you. How did you know that blanket of protection was there for you? Because you were like, I didn't even know they were looking out for me. Right. So, so for my internship, we would, we spent six months at this hospital up north and then six months at the university hospital. I had just come off of rotation. I'm back at the university hospital and I'm sitting there like doing some charting after leaving the OR. And this one attending comes, sits down. He's like, Oh, hey, Steve, how's it going? I'm like, um, and part of me was like, Oh, it's, you know, everything's fine. And I was like, Well, actually, this and this happened. And you realize that everybody talks, especially in anesthesia, all the attendees, if they're invested, they know what's going on. Instead of leaning away, I leaned in, opened the door to the conversation. This attending was like, Yeah, I heard about those things, gave me some advice. And I literally just found out, I went back to the University of Chicago for a fellowship. Now, sitting with one of the inners of throat surgeons, who's been a fantastic mentor for me since then. And we were talking about intern year and she's like, oh yeah, I ran into this attending and I was like, oh yeah, your intern. Oh, he's fantastic. And he said, fantastic. He's like, great. I need you to write that down and document it. Learning almost seven, eight years down the road that this is what was transpiring behind closed doors because I also was working hard. That wasn't my reality or my truth. Those experiences are what they described at this other hospital and my hard work Spoke also had a, a very good team of people to, to support me. This attending asked you how things were going. Did it ever get so bad at that hospital that you rotated at where you felt like you had to say something like program director of GME or, or did it ever have to go there? It didn't have to go there. It was three or four different examples of you kind of didn't work up this patient as well as you should have. And I'm like, they don't have a medical, it's, it's benign. It's a very low acuity hospital. And I, and I was a little cocky because I would go from this big university medical center and then to this small community program. And I'm like, you know, these patients aren't really that sick. People, especially when you're underrepresented, confidence can be the death of you. People see that and they're like, I'm going to take this person down, put them in their place. So that's part of it. Part of it was I did make a couple mistakes. I made three mistakes that I, that I know of as an intern. Intern mistakes, nobody got hurt from it. But again, I was treated a little differently. So by the time I got to a sit-down meeting with one of the chief medicine residents and this program director, that's when I was like, okay, I see what's going on here. And I was able to course correct. The, the meeting usually starts like, oh, how can we help you? Did you struggle? We saw you went to Howard. Did you struggle with your exams? I was like, okay. I see it. there was a quote from another 
attending who was a gastroenterologist. Somehow I ended up in the GI clinic as an intern, which I wasn't supposed to have been there, but I did. And I'm trying to work up like ulcerative colitis. And like, I haven't read this stuff in, in years. The comment this person made was, well, you went to medical school, didn't you? Another comment from this attending, the quote was, I think we made a mistake on that one. And I was like, wow, all the mistakes that I've made as an intern. And no, I don't know how to work up ulcerative colitis because I'm going into anesthesia. But it was very clear where this was headed. So I just was like, oh, I'll do better. I'll work hard and buckled down, got out of that situation. But it was very eye-opening to me. Fortunately, I saw all this early on and I was able to course correct because you know sometimes it just happens too late. Now, it sounds like your course correction had to take the form of saying, yes, please, thank you, and just sort of being overly gushy with the platitudes so that it looked like you had, quote unquote, known your place. Is that sort of summation of it or was there something else? That, that, is, that is exactly what happened. To help me, they changed my schedule. So I ended up working. Uh, I worked Thanksgiving that year. I worked Christmas and New Year's. My vacation was lost to the shuffle because I, I got my rotation thing switched so I could be with the faculty mentor and all this. You know, they, they did all the, the things to help me. I said, in the big picture, in the grand scheme of things, I'm just going to get through this. They didn't call me names. Like, it wasn't like the overt Southern racism. It was just the um, racism light, I guess. A lot, whole lot of microaggressions through it. It never got to a point where somebody called me outside my name or they didn't threaten my job. And for those situations, you absolutely need help. You need to have somebody in those meetings with you. And there's a whole level of escalation that you need to do as an underrepresented minority to protect yourself in those situations. I got away with a, please, sir, may I have another kind of situation. I will never forget that experience. Thankfully, you have created Black Doctors Podcast to help others recognize that they're not alone in the struggle. For me personally, I don't like being surprised. So to hear stories of people getting this happen to them, get the heads up, you learn not to take it personal, which means a lot because you end up thinking, oh, it's just me or it's this or it's that. And it's like, no, they this been in the game for a long time mm -hmm. now. And it's almost as if you can consider it a rite of passage, which is sad to say, but it's true. Now, I'll tell you, one of the things that happens working with a senior resident, I went log into the computer and for whatever reason, this person's Gmail popped up. And I wasn't trying to snoop, but what popped up was a running email exchange between this resident and the chief about my performance and how I was doing poorly. There was some situation where he thought I was getting suspended at the other hospital. My notes were like a week later or something. So they sent the email was, if you don't do your notes, blah, blah, blah. And I mentioned that in passing. And what was in this email was like, oh, I think Stevens, he's stressed because he may be getting suspended at the other hospital. And there was this whole paragraph. And now that's when I was like, that's, I was like, oh, my goose is cooked. They're, they're, okay, I see what's going on. Oh, they're gunning. Wow. And I would argue that even though they didn't call you out of your name, we would almost prefer it to be just that overt because then you know to attack it aggressively. These yeah. other microaggressions and things and talking behind the scenes, it's almost like a frog in hot water. They keep mm -hmm. gradually increasing heat. And by the time it's time for you to jump out, you already are dismissed. It's right. already too late. Now you have to try to get legal representation to work, you know, retroactively because unfortunately you didn't know to take these proactive measures. You managed to feel that the increase in the intensity, there were other serendipitous moments once again. <laughs>
that helped guide you toward what you need to do to make it out of that program without any quote unquote corrective action, which, ugh. So outside of that rotation of that hospital, the rest of residency, when you're at the big hospital, at your main program, sounded like it went well. Oh, it's fantastic. You declared you wanted to do ICU, then you're applying for fellowships. Yes and no. So I'd applied to go into the military when I was in medical school and that didn't work out. And, and I'm glad it didn't work out since I got to do my civilian residency, but I did join the Navy during residency. So I had to end up asking the Navy, hey, is it okay if I do an ICU fellowship before I come on active duty? The Navy says, no, we don't need critical care trained anesthesiologist. No idea COVID was around the corner. Yeah. But again, that was serendipitous because had I done my ICU training and then served, I would have owed more time in the Navy. The acuity was incredibly low. So I would have really lost a lot of my skill set had I done the ICU before. So I got to practice as an anesthesiologist in the Navy and then applied and came back to the University of Chicago for my critical care fellowship. Ah, so how long did you practice in the Navy? Uh, four years. Oh, and that four years, did that cover the cost of medical school? <laughs> no, no, not at all. There's a little bonus money involved during residency, like 180 grand over the three years of residency. And then for the four years, you know, you just made your normal military salary, which is quite low. So then you still have medical school debt. Yes. So I got about a year and a half left of public service loan forgiveness. Okay. You do your four years and you still want to do ICU. Yeah. So I had a lot of time to think about it. It was nice. I didn't have a full attending salary that I was giving up, you know, because I just had the Navy salary. Still wanted to add that dimension to my career. With critical care, salary may not even increase that much compared to a general anesthesiologist, but you do typically have kind of a block scheduling week on, week off, which would help support the other creative endeavors. I like to do music and podcasts, all this other stuff. So that pushed me over the edge in terms of coming back for a fellowship. Stat News, just of June of last year, and they updated this article called The Death Spiral that forces Black physicians out of their residency programs. It describes a trifecta, one that we see in Stephen's story of higher scrutiny, over-policing, and more negative reports. Studies have found that there is a racial bias against Black residents. The American Council for Graduate Medical Education found that Black physicians make up 5% of all medical residents, but 20% of residents who were dismissed from their programs in 2015. So what do we do about this? Well, NPR April 2021 offers the following suggestion, and that is being mentored. We need mentors. Going to conferences, making connections, networking, these aren't options for us. Because another key aspect that turned things around for Dr. Bradley was he had a blanket of protection in his mentors that he wasn't even aware of. And we need that blanket of protection if we're going to make it through our programs. This means we have to be proactive in forming relationships, not reactive, but ahead of time knowing that we need this support so that when this 
over-policing, this harshness comes our way, we have people that can say, no, that's not going on that record. We're not doing that. (laughs) And ensure that your best interests are put forward. So mentorship is not an option for us. It is mandatory. We, We need to form these relationships. In looking for resources on how to handle when we are encountered with racism, doesn't matter if they throw a racial slur at you or it's, it's a series of microaggressions, all of it has incredibly damaging physical and mental consequences. But it's crucial to communicate to your program director, to the GME office if necessary. And if you listen to the episode I had with Dr. Aisha Avery Hart in season one, legal representation may need to be acquired sooner rather than later. It largely depends on your circumstance, how much escalation you need to do. If you were in a program like Dr. Avery Hart was, again, uh, if you go back to season one, you'll see her interview is where there is a historic precedence of many Blacks and Latino residents being dismissed from the program you may need to have that legal representation earlier. If that is not the case, there be room for conversations to remedy the the issue. Changes taking place so that you're not being retaliated against and it's a comfortable environment for for you to work. As trainees, we our focus is supposed to be on patient care and studying to ensure that we are up to date on the literature, uh, providing the highest quality evidence-based care. But as you see in his story, we don't have the luxury of doing that. We also have to be aware of how we're being perceived by others. Being sensitive to those shifts in the room that could get us pulled to the side. Part of being proactive is knowing ahead of time when you interview at these programs, how many of them have dismissed residents from their program? How many of them have been dismissed and on what grounds? So you have a clear sense of what you're walking into. Embrace and pay attention to those serendipitous moments. Who would have known that he would happen to see at a computer where he appreciated an email exchange from his senior resident? Pay attention to those whispers so they don't become screams. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sivo Sisters. If you love this episode as much as I did, head on over and rate and subscribe so you don't miss out. New episodes drop every week on a Monday because we all can use a little something, something to get us through the week. Am I right? I'd love to hear more from you on the topics that you want to hear. So let me know in the comments. This is Dr. Peterson signing off. See you next time.